morning, all you grillers out there. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And um, you should be learning a lot about grilling by now. Just got through Father's Day where all the fathers were grilling. And now we're heading towards the big grill event, which is the 4th of July. And a, and a big grill. And, and a big grill. A big grill with the unusual name of Meathead. And you're going to meet Meathead right now. Oh, Meathead, we've interviewed you before and follow you faithfully. Um, but just for those who haven't heard, can you briefly recap how you got to be such an expert on uh, grilling? <laughs> uh, <laughs> why don't you well, start by telling us why you're called Meathead? <laughs> Wasn't that your nickname as a kid? Oh... Uh, um, it goes back to the uh, television show, Archie Bunker, uh, way back, I guess, in the 70s somewhere. I was um, there. And, <laughs> and uh, Archie had a son-in-law whom he called Meathead, and uh, my dad used to jokingly call me Meathead. And uh, <laughs> then uh, back in the 90s or so, uh, you know, when I started getting involved in the internet, you had to have a handle, right? Everybody got a handle. And so I chose Meathead. It was appropriate. I was into barbecue and grilling. Uh-huh. And it stuck. And, uh, it became, uh, my, uh, my official name. Well, anyhow, you're, you're great at writing. You're great at networking. Uh, and you're great at grilling, which is what we're going to talk about. We just got through one of the great grilling holidays with Father's Day. Uh, but we're coming up to an important next grilling day, which is July 1. Help us get through that. <laughs> uh, well, you mean July, 4th of July? Yeah. yeah. What did I say? I thought you said July 1. That's okay. I grill oh, no, on July 4. I grill on July 2. I grill on July 4. Hold on a second. I, I, I want to ask Meathead if, if he ever saw the show which spawned All in the Family. Oh, 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 I saw All in the Family. I don't know what spawned it. There was, there was a show in, on British television called Till Death Us Do Part. And there was a character. Oh, no, never much, saw that one. There was a, very much of a character like Archie Bunker. Except, uh-huh. except, except he was a dock worker in London who voted conservative. And there was a male dumbass on the show who, who married the Archie Bunker character's wife. I mean, they, they, got, they, got, they got married and they all lived together. Not very happily ever after. (laughs) A lot of the TV shows that became popular in the States had origins in the UK. Yeah, so so it was called Till Death Us Do Part, and it's worth worth your while to see if there isn't some place you can find it. I'll look online, see if I can find it. But it was a very good show. I mean, uh, uh, it was way ahead of its time. It preceded the political divisions that are so much in the foreground now that was back during the vietnam war era and the country was riven also then politically um by uh those who were 
were referred to as the silent majority, the uh -huh. very pro-war and then the anti-war audience. And uh, um, it, it struck upon a lot of social issues, including race, uh, religion. Uh, it was a very gutsy show. And uh, uh, the character... Is he still alive? The guy who yes. Played... Uh, uh, the, the, the character who played Archie, I believe, is still alive. And... Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the man who created the show, but he's still alive too, um, and very, and very much uh, involved. And then, of course, the meathead character was um, uh, Rob Reiner. Uh, oh, right, is, that's uh, right. I forgot about that. Right, Rob Reiner, of course, became a very uh, uh, highly regarded director. Oh yeah, is he still alive? Oh yes. Oh, yeah. Good, good, good. Um, yeah. I, I just saw the Chef Peel died in uh, California. So, but yeah. anyhow, um, well, um, we're back to this. You're going to give our listeners tips and ideas for cooking out on the grill for the 4th of July, including rocouing is cooking ribs and smoking meats and veggies on a grill. That's Do you want to first establish uh, who I am? Um, I, I, are you going to do an introduction? Or do oh, no, no, no. Do? I thought you were going to do that. I forgot that you were going to start that. Go ahead. Well, I'm, you are. I'm, I'm, I'm known as Meathead because I run AmazingRibs.com, which is by far the largest barbecue and grilling website in the world. And uh, I also have written a book called Meathead, the Science of Great Barbecue and Grilling, which is the best-selling barbecue and grilling book right now. And uh, I'm a member of the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Well, let's just a, mention that because that's a recent development. Induction into the Barbecue Hall of Fame is pretty that's special. Correct. That's correct. Congratulations uh, just got, on uh, that. elected to the Hall of Fame uh, last month. Um, there are only 25 living members. It's quite an honor, and uh, uh, the other guys are uh, guys and gals are pretty cool people. Well, it, the whole the whole community of of grill masters and stuff is pretty interesting. I mean, the characters are all over the place. <laughs> yes, they, there are <laughs> quite a few characters indeed. Um, yeah. uh, now, you had asked about some tips for people who are cooking at home uh, on their grill or their smoker out back, and uh, uh, there, there's several that I can share that I think will work um, for you. Um, I, I want to I, I um, start with the most important tool you can own to become a good cook, whether it's indoors or outdoors, and that's a digital instant-read thermometer. Um, you know, a, a perfectly cooked medium rare steak, and medium rare is the te is, is the is the temperature at which steak is most tender and most juicy, and we know that because there are tools, machines that we can use to test tenderness and juiciness. So, medium rare steak is 130 to 135 degrees. And that's it. It's that simple. If you have an instant read thermometer and the new digital models can give you a reading in five seconds or less 
and you can get one for 20 to $30, um, you'll never overcook a steak again. You'll have never we ever had one that works, Rabbit? We, we don't. Why do they not work? No, actually, I mean, we, we do, but we break them frequently. Oh. <laughs> Why do we break them? That's what I don't know. Because we do, that's all. It's just one of the, just one of the best things. But in in my head, here's something. Say you you have this Fourth of July party, right? And and everybody has a separate degree of the, that they want of doneness of your state. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, how do you handle that if you're the grill master and everybody went from well done to raw? <laughs> well, it's, 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 it, with, a, with an instant read thermometer, it's really easy. You just poke each steak, and you know the temperature range. I mean, if you've got uh, a guide, we have one on AmazingRibs.com. You can print it out. Um, there's one we sell that uh, is on Amazon. Um, but if you want somebody who wants it rare, it's 120 to 130. Medium rare, 130 to 135. Medium is 135 to 140. You either memorize or you paste this chart on your refrigerator or magnetic uh, chart on the refrigerator, and uh, you you check each steak that way. But just as important as getting them to the proper degree of doneness, it uh, it's also an issue of safety. Um, a few years ago, Consumer Reports purchased 300 chicken breasts and tested them all and found that 90% of them had pathogenic bacteria in them. Now, that is high risk. But if you cook them to 160 to 165 degrees, you will kill all bacteria. You pasteurize them. And so now you can have a 4th of July party, and you don't have to worry about sending Granny to the emergency room. (laughs) Um, You don't want to undercook steak or ground meat. You want to get it to the right temperature as a matter of safety, not just quality. So twenty to thirty dollars, and you'll never get it, get anyone sick, and you'll never embarrass yourself by overcooking an expensive steak. So that's where you start with a great digital instant read thermometer. Now, can you can you talk a little bit for our inexperienced grillers about uh, about the, the resting after the cooking? No, I don't think we need to get into that. It's a very complicated issue. Um, and we don't have enough time. Um, but I, 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 if you want, <laughs> um, let me put it this way. There are many factors that affect moisture, and saliva is a very, very important one. And nothing gets your juices flowing like a sizzling hot piece of steak. Um, we have tested the meat by cutting into it immediately after it comes off the grill and five minutes later, 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, and there is a very slight more loss of moisture if you cut it immediately, but it's only slight and it absorbs back up into the meat so there's really no significant loss. And um, I think it's more important to serve food hot. Um, that will get saliva flowing, 
And there's many other aspects to this very complicated issue. Um, uh, you know, it, yeah, but it's something that say, everybody, everybody gets their knickers in a knot over this resting. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> yeah, and if you're doing chicken or turkey, um, while it rests, the skin is getting soft. You want crispy yes, skin. Yes, exactly. So ser- serve your food hot. Don't worry about resting. There's no scientific effort. There's been no research in any of the journals that I have seen. I've talked to food scientists. Nobody can prove that it is necessary. Well, you know, I, I've cooked for years without knowing I should rest anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, well he's, he's, he's demolishing all these fond memories that I have of people who talk about Reverse sear versus regular sear. Well, now that's that's another topic. Um, Go ahead. Uh, I'm uh, the the time that it takes to cook something depends entirely on how thick it is. Um, if you read a recipe that says put a steak on the grill for six minutes on one side, flip it over for four minutes on the other side, and you're done, or something like that, run. Because yeah, because it doesn't tell you how thick it is. You, you don't know how thick it is. It takes longer for the heat to get to the center of a thick steak than it does a thin steak. Um, same thing with chicken. It takes longer for the heat to get to the center of a breast than it does to the get to... Um, uh, down by the bone of a drumstick. So the thickness of the meat determines how long it takes to get it done. And if you have a very thick steak, the best way to cook it is to gently warm it first so that it's even temperature throughout. And then at the end of the cook, you sear it over high temperature with the lid open so that all the power of the energy of the flame is on the underside of the steak, then you flip it, and instead of that heat moving towards the center of the meat, it's now on top, the heat will bleed off in the atmosphere. So you'll get even color in the center and dark color on the outside. If you sear it first, then the heat will build up in the exterior and gradually move to the center, and when you're done, you'll get a dark exterior. Underneath that, you'll have a layer of brown, then a layer of tan, then a layer of pink, and then finally perfectly medium rare in the center. You get this rainbow effect. So, again, that's another myth that um, uh, we're always told is you sear it first. Whether you sear first or sear at the end, Depends on how thick, and my rule of thumb is, is if it's under an inch thick, then you, then you just cook it over a hot flame on each side and you're done. But if it's more than an inch thick, then you start away from the heat. Um, you, you divide your grill in half. Now this is a, con- a concept called two-zone cooking, and you should do this almost every time you cook on a grill, whether it's a gas grill or charcoal grill. You turn the heat on on one side. If it's a gas grill, you get one or two burners up on high, and then the other side, you leave the burners off. On a charcoal grill, you push all the charcoal 
to one side and you leave the other side with no charcoal. And it's like the difference between standing outdoors on a sunny day and getting hit by infrared radiation from the sun and moving into the shade and being cool in the shade. If you think of the grill, the charcoal or the flame is emitting infrared radiation just like the sun and it's powerful and you don't want to be your meat doesn't need to a thick piece of meat shouldn't be in the sun for a long time it needs to start in the shade and then you finish it on the hot side you know, you, you've proven something. I don't think grilling's as easy as everybody thinks it is. <laughs> I mean, well, you, you're very scientific with all this. Well, I, that's one of the things we've undertaken. This is, this is the year uh, 2021. And, you know, um, we have a great deal of sophisticated equipment out there to understand what happens to food when you apply energy to it or heat to it. The chemistry of the food changes. The <laughs> physics of, of the whole process impacts the results. So understanding a little bit of chemistry, a little bit of physics, you don't have to make it complicated, but just understanding the core concepts is really important. Um, here, for example, is a good ex- uh, a point. Um, go, to, go, go to your kitchen and turn on the oven and set it for 200 degrees. And when it gets up to 200 degrees, stick your arm in there. You can actually do this. It won't burn your arm. You won't even singe your hair. You can hold your arm into a 200-degree oven for, you know, a minute or so. Now, take your hand and touch the side of that oven. When you get back from the hospital, you'll uh-huh. understand that temperature is not the same when you're measuring it in air or measuring it in metal. Metal holds and and, and, and conveys more energy than air does. Both the side of that oven and the air in that oven are 200 degrees. But it doesn't hurt to hold your hand in the air, and it certainly does to touch the metal. So, I mean, it's basic physics. It's not temperature that we're worried about. It's energy. And the, there's more energy when you're directly above the coals than if you're off to the side. So if you divide your grill in two parts, one with lots of energy and one with no energy, you now have temperature control. It's like going from the sun to the shade, and you can, and, and you can cook a lot better. Now let's, let's, let's pick up on one of the more challenging tasks of cooking barbecue with another with a different ingredient we haven't talked about yet called fish. Oh, fish is really a pain in the butt. Um, <laughs> but it really loves the flavor of flame. I mean, yeah. fish, grilled fish really has a a, a wonderful flavor um, and smoke and uh, exposure to flame uh, really brings out a lot of the uh, wonder in fish. The problem with fish is is it's about 90% water. Steak, pork, chicken, they're about 75% water. So there's a lot of water in, 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 in meat, but fish is higher in water. And it really sticks to the grill very easily. Here's a tip. 
um, you oil the food, not the grates. When you put oil on the cooking grates, um, it immediately changes the structure of the oil. It's called cracking. And really? it, 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 it smokes, and the oil, well, you, you see that in your engine when you drive your car. You have to change that oil after a while because the heat changes the physical properties of the oil. So when you put oil on top of the cooking grates, it immediately alters the chemistry of the oil, and it loses some of its stickiness now, or rather its, its, its slipperiness. Um, now, if you oil the food, the food is cold. You take it out of the refrigerator, hopefully it's around 38 degrees. The food is cold. The oil is on the food. That's not going to change the temperature of the oil. You put that on the grill, and the oil will remain slippery longer, and it will prevent it from sticking. But once the food is down, chick, once, once, once fish is down, or chicken is another problem, don't touch it. Um, you can try gently to lift it after four or five minutes, and if it's still sticking, leave it alone. It'll eventually let go. Now, if you've got a piece of fish that, ha that um, if, say, you're, you're cooking a very delicate white fish or something, and it tends to stick a lot, the really cool way to help prevent it from sticking is to coat it with mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is mostly oil, but it, it is a, um, a suspension of oil with um, uh, other ingredients, and they're very, it's very slippery. And when you use mayonnaise instead of oil, it will be more slippery than with oil, and the mayonnaise actually doesn't really flavor it much. Most of it melts and drips off. So mayonnaise is a good way to coat fish. <laughs> now, everybody's hot to do um, veggies on the grill nowadays because mm -hmm. we get more we get more um, books on um, on uh, vegetarian this and vegan that than we ever have mm -hmm. ever. And cook them on a grill is. We mm -hmm. always did that. My favorite way to eat okra is grilled on a grill. Um, but yes, yeah, of course. Most people fry it, but it, it's really good um, uh, grilled. Yeah, if you're um, watching your fast and stuff, it's it's a great solution, I think. I mean, it's yeah, still oil. Yeah, the problem with a lot of vegetables is they that fall. they're small enough and they fall through the cracks of the grate. So then you have to have something, a plate on it. Yeah, they 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 sell gadgets called grill toppers, and basically yeah. it's just a piece of metal with holes cut in it. But yeah. it's the holes are are small enough so that you can cook things like cherry tomatoes or nuts, um, peas, and they don't fall through. Uh, onion slices, you smoke peas. Uh, I can't imagine why you smoke grill, peas. Grill. Oh, yeah. um, we grow sugar snaps. Uh, my wife oh, yeah, is a well, master yeah, gardener. Uh, my wife's a master gardener, and uh, uh, he, I'm in the Chicago area. And come July and August, that we'll go many, many nights without meat. Um, not when the garden is is putting out. Um, so, uh, but a grill topper is a great way to keep small objects from falling through. Um, uh, and uh, of well, course, this is also true with some fish, like plankton. Yes. Blank sailing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Now, um, you you list as one of your specialties smoking meats and veggies on a grill. How do you change it into a smoker, or do you just use the smoker? That's well. Of course, if you have a dedicated smoker, that's really great because it's designed to do that. But you can make any grill into a smoker, um, and the best way is is uh, set it up in two zones, just like I described before. All the heat is on one side, no heat on the other side. And then let's say you're doing a slab of ribs. Fourth of July for me is ribs. Um, yeah, well, I want to get that because I need to. I need a lot of information on ribs. There's a lot of misinformation out there. But we, but finish with this. Um, and what you're talking about. Well, Fourth of July is is a great opportunity to cook ribs. And uh, what you would do is divide the grill in half. And you've got all the heat on one side and no heat on the other side. And you put the meat, the ribs, on the side without heat. And then you throw wood on the flame and throw a good bit there, uh, a handful or two of wood chunks or chips um, or, or pellets or sawdust. You want to use a hard wood, and you don't need to soak it. Um, soaking wood uh, doesn't work. Um, first of all, wood doesn't absorb water. See, that's, um, that's some sort of heresy that I've read that you have to soak the wood. And you're telling yeah. me no? Huh. No, I, all the books tell you to soak the wood. Guess what? There's a reason they build boats out of wood, because wood <laughs> doesn't absorb water. Um, I, I, you that's know, we've funny. done the test. I've taken wood chunks, wood chips, um, weighed them, soaked them overnight, not just an hour or two like the books tell you, soaked them overnight, yeah. um, shake off the water, weigh them again, and they gain about 3 to 5%. And it's all right on the surface where the wood is fuzzy. And when you throw that on a hot flame, what's the first thing that happens? It steams. It boils the water off. The water all comes off, and then... And that happens at 212 degrees. But the wood doesn't ignite. It doesn't become smoke until 500 degrees. So you go from steam, and then you've got to wait around until it goes up 300 degrees and catches on fire. Um, so all that stuff that you see when you throw wet wood on the charcoal or the flame is steam. It's not smoke. Um, so throw dry wood on the flame side of the grill, and it will smoke, and that smoke will circulate under the hood to the other side where the ribs are, and they will gently cook by convection airflow, um, and uh, the, you want to shoot for around um, 225 degree air temperature on the indirect side, and baby back ribs will take maybe three to four hours and spare ribs or St. Louis cut, which is a variation on spare ribs, they'll take about five to six hours if your air temp is about 225 on the indirect or the side without heat. You know, I I had um, a slab of baby lamb ribs um, from Jamison Farm. You probably know them. It's a, a local organic lamb farm. But at any rate... I I've never cooked baby uh, lamb ribs before. Yeah, they're hard. Yeah, and I looked up 
on the internet recipes for this and the timing on these things ranged from an hour to six hours mm-hmm. yeah I, again what, it depends on how thickness and what temperature you're cooking at um, lamb ribs if you think of a rack of lamb um, yeah. you get they're, they're, they're typically eight in a rack pork ribs are 12 or 13 depending on how, how they're cut um, and uh, beef ribs are seven to eight. Um, lamb ribs are usually eight in a rack, but there's not much meat on them. And there's most no meat of the time, at all. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, now, but it depends on how they're butchered. Sometimes they can leave a lot of meat on. Sometimes they can take the meat off. Uh, it really varies. Um, and also the amount of fat. Um, uh, you know, pork fat and beef fat are, are kind of tasty. Um, but lamb fat is kind of weird. It's not everybody's favorite fat. So, uh, um, uh, yeah, lamb ribs are tricky, and it really depends on how your butcher has cut them. Right. Well, I'll tell you, um, your book, does it give all these clues? Is this one the book we interviewed you about? The book is divided in two parts, and the first part is all science and technique and concepts, and it's like a textbook. And the second half are the recipes that apply all the concepts from the first half. Um, well, this is and what the one it, we interviewed you about, right? Yeah. If you look on Amazon, um, it's got a solid five-star rating. Um, yeah, people well. absolutely love it. I think we just we really better get that on um, on our announcement of this program so that people can can really study this. It's a lot to know and a lot to learn before the Fourth of July. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have uh, amazingribs.com. The website has over two thousand pages of information. A okay. lot of what's in the book is on the website. You oh, know, the great. problem is is you know how the internet works. Um, it, it, you can go to my recipe for last meal ribs. Um, they're so good that if you're on death row, you'll ask for the last meal ribs for your yeah. last meal. And uh, you can go to that recipe, and it's there. And you you can, you know, but then it'll say, okay, now uh, click here to learn how to set up a gas grill. Click here to learn how to set up a charcoal grill. <laughs> Click here to learn how to do it on a smoker. So off you go in 16 different directions, uh-huh. and you get down into this uh, rabbit hole. But a book has the, the beauty of a beginning and a middle and an end, and I wrote it so that it will hold your hand and take you through the process step by step uh, without hyperlinks uh, jumping around. So... Books are a better way to learn, but there's all this information is on the website, and that's free. Okay. Well, you are a wonder, and uh, I'm not surprised that you're in the Hall of Fame. Well, um, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good talking to you all the time. And it's, it's my it's pleasure. It's talking to somebody who knows exactly what they're doing. <laughs> a lot of people well, do not. Know, We've the- learned the first step is is go out there and look at that grill and say to yourself, I'm smarter than you. And <laughs> once you figure out how it works and get a few basic techniques like two-zone cooking, using a thermometer, you can master the grill. You can become great at smoking. Um, you know, uh, uh, 
you can uh, just cook some anything you cook indoors. You can cook outdoors only better. You're talking to Peter Haig, who actually cooked an entire goose on the grill for Christmas. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> it was so delicious. There's a lot of work. <laughs> so, anyhow, Meathead, you are wonderful, and I, I'm good glad to, get to, to talk to you again. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Do the same. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Next up, we've got Mike Lang, whose book has the evocative title of one beer growing. <laughs> Figure that out. But meanwhile, he'll tell you about it. There we go. Yeah, well, <laughs> perfect timing of the year to have this book come out, Mike Lang. Uh, One beer growing. <laughs> Fast, easy, and French recipes. Uh, fresh, fresh, not French, American. <laughs> fresh recipes for great grilled meals that you can make before you finish your first cold one. So if you wanted to know, listeners, what the, what the title really means, it's, it's, it's one beer is all before you can finish your grilling. That's not altogether true with all no, of your you recipes. Can, you can get it done within, within a one-minute time frame, which is quite a mark, remarkable. Let, let's do that just for, just for our... Just for our Pittsburgh listeners, you're probably recognizing Mike Lang's name and thinking that he's the commentator for the Pittsburgh Penguin hockey team who had all kinds of wonderful little sayings, including Elvis has just left the building. Well, in this case, Elvis has just joined the building. <laughs> so, 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 so welcome to us all the way from Dayton, Ohio. And yeah, no, what, Anna Peter, do you thank do? you what so do you much. Do? Uh, by career, actually, as I am a police sergeant uh, here in Southwest Ohio. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So, um, but you've done a lot of grilling. You, you, in your book, you say that you have twenty grills in your backyard. I do. I do between the the backyard and a few tucked away for safekeeping in the garage. Got a little bit of everything, depending upon what I'm doing, uh, and certainly my work with Weber Grills has facilitated a lot of that. Uh, yeah, well, let's fortunate. get that one up right front here, listeners. <laughs> you have to understand that Mike is a spokesperson for uh, Weber Grills, which I don't mind saying we've always used Weber Grill anyhow. But but I thought we should say that up front. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. Okay. Okay, so and you have you have every model they ever made, I guess, right? Uh, just about, yes, I do. Uh, depending on what I'm doing, I need the current model to uh, shoot on or to do video work with. So it is that is a requirement. Now you 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 have both charcoal ones and gas ones. Yeah, charcoal, uh, gas, and even uh, a pellet grill, which is one of their newest additions, uh, the smoke fire. Yeah, you went mentioned that and. It, I just figured out that it's probably a grower you use those pellets in. <laughs> so, yeah, yes, it is. Now, what's, yeah. a, what's a pellet grill? I didn't, I didn't read about that one. Uh, pellet, it's basically an electronic grill that takes uh, pulverized wood pellets into like almost a like capsule form, 
and okay. then uses that as the fuel source. It's a, it's a great grill from the standpoint of you basically set a temperature like an oven, and the grill has the intelligence to keep it at that temperature in that range. Uh, plus, you get a wonderful wood, smoky flavor profile out of it as well with a lot less work. Okay, all right. So, so, so it's, 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 an, it's really a next-generation grill. Yes, very much so, very much so, probably in the Have market. Have you tried the green egg? I see that. I see that yeah, actually, there. I had a uh, Kamado grill from a different manufacturer for quite a while, um, but then I moved with my Weber grills to what they've caught is basically a, a, a version of a Kamado grill, but instead of ceramic, it's double-walled stainless steel air-insulated. And they are wonderful grills. Uh, unlike the, you know ceramic grill, when it falls over, it's probably not going to shatter into a million pieces but it can just as well hold temperature for almost 24 hours. Oh, wow. You know, I, I mean, I think I'm a Luddite because, I mean, I have so much kitchen equipment that people have sent me, <laughs> and I I can't figure out how to use it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like having to start learning how to cook all over again. We, oh, we yeah, need there's definitely to, a learning curve. We need curve. you to come for a visit, Mike. <laughs> well, I would love that. You let me know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll send you a ticket and come on, come on over and tell us all about how to make it work. And remind <laughs> me, where are you guys located again? You're We're in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Right? Okay, great. Right. No, see, not that far away. Yeah. Not too far away. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I'm, I'm a grill freak too. In fact, funny, funny, funny story. I guess that I'll keep relatively brief. But there was a period of time when, and was confined to a hospital bed on the first floor of her house because she'd had surgery mm. and I had to so I had to cook everything but I I don't know how to cook on a stove on a range I didn't know how to <laughs> do that so I used to cook all the protein and that kind of stuff on the Weber grill yeah. outside the back door and then, and, then, and then I would cook the vegetables on the range and I and I would bolt back and forth between the two cooking stations. <laughs> well, you did a lot of the veggies on the grill, too. Well, I, that, that was later. Yeah, well, I mean, my, the biggest uh, threat to um, to the, the neighborhood was when he decided to do a Christmas goose on the grill. <laughs> oh, my gosh, but that was fantastic. It was, but I had to, um, I, I got a Chinese um, steamer, and and I um I got a lot of the fat out of the the um, the goose before we put mm-hmm. it on the grill because I didn't want yeah. to incinerate <laughs> incinerate the whole neighborhood. But the, I was going to say down, that could be a bad side effect. But the down the downside the major downside of that was that uh, what what I had paid four or five dollars a pound for in a fine Canadian goose. Mm. I saw melting away. So the goose got to about two-thirds of the size of which it started. Oh, my gosh. Well, so, what's now, your favorite thing to grill, Peter? What's that? What's your favorite thing to grill? I, pro- probably leg of lamb, I think, probably. Huh? Yeah, that was good. Because, because that, that, that was the first serious thing that I attempted and I, I, I we, my, my wife had we always loved lamb we had a lamb supplier who used to send us two lambs a year and we mm. would cook the legs in particular 
all spiced up and all that kind of stuff in in the oven and the, the day after the day I'm going to tell you what happened was Anne's birthday mm. and I, I and I had this brain wave that I would that I would go to the store that was kind of like Walmart mm-hmm. and see if I couldn't buy a grill a charcoal grill and then I would cook a leg of lamb for Anne on her birthday no on the kettle grill and and it worked and it became my signature dish oh, and, there, and there was there was a queue formed down the street for people <laughs> who were going to be honored enough to actually come and taste it because <laughs> there's, there's but you know my favorite thing was that we had these friends over all the time uh, mm-hmm. for years um, for this famous leg of lamb and it wasn't until oh after we'd been doing it and having them over for about eight years, did the, the male of this couple tell us that he hated lamb? Oh, no. So, <laughs> he hated too much. So, so we didn't serve it for him anymore. <laughs> so back to this book. Back to this book. Yeah. Um, you really, uh, you go to just about anything and cook it on the grill. I mean, you think just about anything could be, but you're, you you really like planking. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, that's I one thing I, that Peter's never done much. What's oh, that? oh, my gosh, yeah. And it's so easily inaccessible. I'm a big adage, too, and kind of like Peter's story of, of taking everything outside. I mean, anything you cook in the kitchen, you can cook on the grill. The grill can be a stovetop, a range. It can be an oven. And planking is a great way i've found of adding more flavor to food through a smoldering plank depending upon the the wood species but it also makes it easier for a beginner griller because it gives you some time that you're not going to burn everything so if you're cooking yeah i still have a plank that we've never used that came with a a, a smoked salmon that we bought and And that's a great example yeah. I mean, for people that are afraid of, you know, if I cook a, a salmon fillet in a grill and it's going to stick, well, it could happen. But if you put it on a plank, it's not going to stick. It's going to taste fantastic, and it's a really easy process to cook. Is that well, right? No, because I, re- I, I read that section of your book very, mm-hmm. very carefully because I, cause it, planking was something I I have never tried. And, uh, you know, I, I, need, I need a mentor to teach me. <laughs> I'm <laughs> glad to, to help re- out. How to really do it. But but it's all right if it, I mean do you soak the plank to yes. I mean yes. so that it's you, you don't want to burn it flame inhibited yeah you can about thirty minutes usually now sometimes though too uh, if I know I'm going to be by the grill I might not because I really want that plank to smolder over the briquettes and put off more smoke so you can skip that step and and you can also okay. depending on how much you use it reuse the planks uh, two or three times. You yeah. can do that, huh? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Now, you know, I, will, I, I will tell you my favorite grilling toy. Mm. The chimney. It, it, it's, it's, no, 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 not a charcoal chimney. Although well, charcoal <laughs> chimneys are pretty important. No, this is the beer can chicken machine. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, 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 have a beer, you have a beer can chicken recipe, not, not surprisingly. I do, course, I do. Because everyone has one of those. Yes, but but we actually we actually have a device, an assembly, I guess you would call it, that doesn't use a, a beer can. Mm-hmm. It has a prong, if you like, 
It's it manufactured. Goes, it, goes, it goes up inside the, the bird. Yeah. And it has a reservoir in the bottom where you put the where you put the beer, and the when the when the beer starts to become not liquid anymore, but smoke. Yeah, steam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not steam. The steam goes up this chimney, and then comes down the other side, and it gives the most incredible tender. Mm. I mean, you, you said beer can chicken is very tender, and I'll tell you, my oh, beer yeah. can chicken machine is the the, the ultimate tender. That well, sounds like it. And, yeah. and Mike, I have to say that of the parts of me reading this book, it's reminded of the saying that um, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Do you always think in terms of how to do whatever it is on the grill? Uh, sadly, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking now at your planked, twice baked mashed potatoes, yes. and it seems a very unlikely candidate for a grill to me. Yeah, and that's one of those things. I don't even remember how that idea came to be. I know I love a good spud. And uh, I was like, you know what? Those should belong on a plank, and they're they're amazing. And it's yeah, I just I love to incorporate those things in the grill that you would not normally think of. Now, Hasselback potatoes is another one, and oh I yeah, saw, and saw somebody cooking Hasselback potatoes just the other day, and mm. I saw you had a recipe for that. Yeah, of course you have a recipe for that. You have a recipe for everything, <laughs> <laughs> or at least seventy-five of them. <laughs> Well, you know, the other thing is I think I I completely forgot about this particular dish item until I read the recipe in Mm -hmm. in your book, Monte Cristo sandwiches. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. I forgot about those. They used to be very popular, right? They did. Uh, When was that? I remember you said why or when? When? Uh, I remember it's probably more, I think, in the early 2000s. At least I remember around here in Ohio, every place had like a Monte Cristo on the menu. Um, I don't say went out of fat or what, but a few places, more uh, probably artisan places, you see them pop up now. But most yeah. you know mainstream restaurants would have them. I just I would. Gorge I think myself. of them more like my you know, school days or something. Oh really? Right, yeah. I think they were popular then. They're very good. Made me hungry. Oh, my gosh, yes. It's got kind of savory, sweet treat. Mm, I'm a sucker for it. Well, didn't didn't we make Rubens on on that thing we had that's like a a George Foreman, except it's not a George Foreman? I don't remember. I mean... It's it's like a cooking sheet, almost. You must have have one of those. Kind of like you're making like a panini or something like that, like a press. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. Did we yeah. have one of those? I can't we do. Yeah, you call it like a panini press. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. For the, for the grill, you can just take a brick and wrap it in aluminum foil, and it's a very exactly. low tech, but works just as well. Well, my my cousin who was once married to a Cuban, um, he did his Cuban pressed sandwich with the brick when he was visiting mm. us. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. That was good. Yeah. So, um, so, what, 
what do you do with them? Do you test all the, um, the grills? Is that what you do? Uh, usually, it, as far as uh, for Weber, um, I'm using those grills to create content for them. So a lot of my photos will appear on their social channels uh, and their website, not only here in the States, but worldwide. Really? Oh, no, you did the photography, too. Yes, in the cookbook, yes. All those pictures are mine. I'm kind They're of very good. My love. Oh, thank you. I'm merging my love of photography and grilling. It's, it's, it's a wonderful combination because, you know, f- as you guys know above anybody, food and visually food is an international language, and it's wonderful. Right. In fact, I've got a friend in Normandy, France, that is a diehard Weber griller. He doesn't speak <laughs> a lick of English. I don't speak any French, but <laughs> we use Google Translate and share photographs in our grilling uh, back and forth, and it's, just, it's an amazing way to communicate, and, and food makes it so much easier. No, so I'm, I'm looking at the picture of your beer brats. It's a great photo. Thank you. Let's, let's come back to that. I want to come back to the beer because the beer, beer is a very important part of the book because it's in the yes. title. But, yes. Uh, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to mention and, and get your opinion on the advantages of charcoal rails. That was, that, that was, that was the thing that, that made it possible for me to cook legs of lamb for the first time mm-hmm. was being able, being able to have a, 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 a what's the word I'm looking for a cool a cool spot in the middle of the yeah. grill oh yeah you're different at least a way of separating uh, your your grill into zones for indirect heat exactly uh, where there's, there's no heat source beneath the protein or, or direct heat where there is a heat source below the protein that's it and that's it exactly and I'm, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure you must you must you must use that kind of thing yourself. Oh, for sure. Uh, I think it's one thing too. Do you have any more gadgets like that? Uh, you know, um, that's probably one of the most important things is being able to split apart your briquettes um, and also a way of moving them. I've got like a charcoal rake that makes it a lot easier and safer to move briquettes around the grill. You know, you figure oh, okay. for the the average griller, they just think of charcoal and direct heat, but your grill and your kettle grill, especially becomes so much more versatile, especially like with your rack of lamb. We start cooking things not on the heat, or better yet, have a safe place for that large steak to go to. If it starts to flare up and cook too fast, you can take it off the heat and move it to indirect, and it makes it for a, a really successful grilling experience. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It makes, it makes a charcoal grill behave more like a gas grill. Yeah, completely. In terms, in terms of the control that you, that you have of the environment in which you're in which you're cooking. Yeah, I mean, my two favorite tools, funny enough, are going to be a timer and a thermometer. Yeah, uh, you said that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially for me, I'm always being distracted by something, so that timer keeps me focused as far as getting into the zone when I know my meal is going to be done, and then that temperature probe. It's important to check that protein, whether it be a steak or be fish or chicken, to make sure you're cooking it to just the right temperature and not too far over, and certainly not under. And that can make anybody successful at it. Talk, talk, talk a little bit for our listeners who, who probably blanched at the idea that I blanched at the first time I tried, which is cooking fish on a <laughs> Weber grill. Yeah. And, and I, thought, I thought to myself all the way through the buying of the fish and the prepping of the grill and the putting, it on the, putting the fish on the grill and thinking, oh, my God, what if I ruin this? <laughs> halibut, which I just paid 
two dollars and fifty cents a pound for. Oh yeah, uh, it can be a little. I, I was very, I was very nervous. Yeah, I mean, cooking fish can always be a challenge. The, the biggest way to be successful is number one to make sure your grates are clean. Get a grill right. brush, scrub them clean, get off any debris. And that's very right. important to not oil the grates, but you want to actually oil the fish with olive oil. Lightly okay. brush it on there. When the fish goes to the grill, that first side is going to cook longer than the second side. The grill is going to release it when it's done. So if you feel resistance when you go to flip it, let it ride out another minute, you know, minute and a half. The grill's going to know when it's done, and then it will release, flip it. The second side won't cook as long because you have the first one on longer, and then you should be able to pull it off with that piece of uh, filet uh, relatively all intact. Yeah, I, I still have a sheet. I guess I call it a barbecue sheet, mm-hmm. but it's just a, a metal sheet and it actually has holes in it as well, and I bought it at Home Depot. Yeah. Yeah, my dad is the same thing. He doesn't want to screw it up. He'll use it. (laughs) And, you know, the safest, if you really want to try fish, you haven't done it, I recommend get a uh, salmon fillets, skin on, cook that over indirect heat, uh, 350 to 400 degrees Fahrenheit, and don't worry about flipping it. Just let it cook as is. You're you're basically roasting it. And then when you're done, put that spatula between the flesh and the skin, scoop it right off, and you're going to have a perfectly cooked piece of fish on the grill yeah i i peel i peel the skin off Mm -hmm. this is doing this is doing it in in the kitchen instead of on the grill i could do the same in the on the grill in the in the garden as well yeah absolutely put i put the fish on skin side down no skin side up for about Mm -hmm. four or five minutes Mm -hmm. and then peel the skin and then I oh, and then yeah. I save and then I save the skin and it's my treat. <laughs> and I re, I I, ret, I return that skin to the oven to crisp up after oh. I've served the salmon. I bet that's delicious. And that's exactly what we're having for dinner tonight, love, right? Oh, nice! That's a good segue. Exactly. We're, <laughs> having Norwe- we're having Norwegian salmon, and we will be cooking it and preparing it just exactly the way I just described. Oh, that's wonderful. So, Mike, how does the average person, I mean, you, you know it just by experience, how does the average person know when to move from the hot zone to the, uh, the cooler zone when they're cooking? Yeah, it's like let's use a, a large steak, for example. If you, let, let's say, already flipped it and you're trying to finish the cook and the fat's starting to render so much that you're getting a lot of flare-ups, You'll see active flame above the grates. That's probably a really good time to move it to a cooler spot of the grill. Um, let it cool down a little bit. Uh, don't want to burn the flesh on the outside, and you still want to keep on cooking. Uh, that's probably the best visual indicator. You know, it's that gut punch. You're like, eh, it's got a lot of flame going on there. That's when you want to move in, get it off those coals, put it someplace cooler, but let it finish cooking. Is there anything that you have not been able to figure out how to cook on the grill? <laughs> no, but when I do, I'll let you know. I, you know the weirdest thing I've ever cooked on the grill uh, is a hog's stomach. Um, oh, no. It's basically it's a vessel for other things. In this case, I stuffed it full of vegetables and potatoes. It's a very old nice. world sort of preparation. Not say it wasn't the greatest. I mean, I pulled it off, but I, I've never done it again since. If that gives you any indication <laughs> what I thought about it. Uh, but it's a challenge to find new things and keep things fresh, and that's what I love to keep on doing. 
It's kind of like I mean, like, why of, would you want to cook macaroni and cheese on the grill? Because the grill is going to put off an extra layer of smoky goodness that you would not normally get if you made those things on a stovetop. Hmm. There you go. If you like that flavor profile, like if you like a uh, an Isle Scotch or you like some true Texas barbecue and you want to have those things uh, in other sorts of dishes you might not think about, then put those things on the grill. You know, I just, we interviewed somebody, um, and I can't remember who, what, but, um, oh, I know what it was. It's uh, the origins of um, uh, Southern African cooking, um, the Gula uh, cooking, and his recipe for collard greens. And I said, Mm. I always thought you had to put a a, um, smoked ham hock in there to Mm -hmm. cook the collard greens. He said, no, his recipe calls for um, uh, the uh, pimenton, the smoked paprika, and that mm. does it. And I tried it, and I did not need to have to add the ham bone. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So pimenton is a good thing. Oh, yeah, that's great. You just never know. Yeah, and, and a last thing here for you is I want you to tell our, read, our listeners about a you know, fatty about, sorry, about a what? A fatty. A fatty. <laughs> oh, a fatty. <laughs> uh, a fatty is a classic um, barbecue staple. It's basically a pound of pork sausage. Uh, it is then seasoned. It's stuffed with cheese and really whatever. Uh, in my case in the book, it's stuffed with hard-boiled eggs. It's then wrapped in a weave of bacon, and then it's smoked on <laughs> the grill. And it is literally to die for. That might be the outcome if you're not careful. <laughs> it may, it may, may very yeah. well be. <laughs> now, there's, there's one last value proposition that's in this book. Yes. Remember, the title is all about beer. And guess what? On every page, with every recipe, is a beer recommendation. And I, I can only suggest, since I've drunk m- many of the ones you recommend... Mm. Uh, that you should ne- dedicate at least a part of your lifetime to drinking one each of all the beers in the book. Uh, I could not agree more with you. And you probably have already. Uh, I think just about yes. <laughs> What's that about? Well, Mike, is this your first book? It is. Yes, it is. It just, well, uh, I'm hoping it won't be your last because you no, have a great not. creative of fervor for the for grilling (laughs) Uh, it's a it's a wonderful uh, passion of mine it's worked out great to keep me sane through all these years so i couldn't be more happy to share it with you guys oh great thank you again listeners it's um called one beer grilling and the author is mike lang and uh i i hope you get to retire and visit your friend in France. <laughs> yes, it's on my list. And Anne and Peter, thanks so much. You've been wonderful hosts. I just, I've truly enjoyed this. Well, we did too, Mike, and we're enjoying the book. Thank you. Well, that's another wrap for this week. Again, yeah. happy, have a happy and wonderful Fourth of July. And uh, we learned we're getting fireworks back again this year. Which oh, yeah. Is, yeah. Okay. But. Same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. And in the meantime, bye-bye.